0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Our first lesson for this 21st Sunday after Pentecost is found record in the book of Amos, chapter 5, beginning at the 6th verse. Seek the Lord and live, or he will rush upon the house of Joseph like fire. The fire will consume, and no one will extinguish it for Bethel. There are some who turn justice into wormwood, and who throw righteousness to the ground. Though there are those who hate an arbiter in the city gate, They despise anyone who speaks honestly. This is why you trample on the poor, and you collect taxes on their grain. You have built houses of cut stones, but you will not live in them. You have planted choice vineyards, but you will not drink their wine. For I know that your rebellious deeds are many, and your sins are numerous. You, who are enemies of a righteous man, You who take bribes, they thrust away needy people in the city gate. This is why a prudent man will be silent in that time, because it is evil time. Seek good and not evil, so that you may live, and then it will be like this for you. The Lord, the God of armies, will be with you as you claim. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the city gate. Perhaps the Lord, the God of the armies, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, focus your attention on Jesus. And high priest, whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, as also Moses was faithful to God's whole house. In fact, Jesus is worthy of greater glory than Moses, in the same way that the builder of a house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, and God is the one who built everything. Moses was faithful as a servant within God's whole house by testifying to the things that would be spoken. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. We are his house if we hold on firmly to our confidence and the hope about which we boast until the end. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Mark chapter 10 beginning of the 17th verse. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, one man ran up to him and knelt in front of him. He asked, Good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except one, God. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, Teacher, I have kept all these since I was a child. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack, go, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. When he heard this, he looked sad and went away grieving, because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is, or how hard it will be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus told them again, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in their riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to one another, Who then? can be saved. Jesus looked at them and said, For people it is impossible, but not for God, because all things are possible for God. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the gospel of Mark chapter 10 beginning at the 17th verse. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, one man ran up to him and knelt in front of him. He asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except one, God. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. The man replied, Teacher, I have kept all these things since I was a child. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack, go, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he looked sad and went away grieving because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus told them again. Children, how hard it is for those who trust in their riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to one another, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For people it is impossible, but not for God, because all things are possible for God. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life, so for those who have a daughter, and she brings home her boyfriend for the first time to meet the family, What do you say to that young man? How do you treat him? I know a man that every time his daughter uh, brought home a young man, he would always sit the young man down uh, one-on-one and was very stern with him. He said, "Do do not lay a hand and hurt my daughter in any way, or you will meet her two uncles, named Smith and Wesson. And then he would go on to go show them his gun collection. What is interesting is this young lady is now married today and happily married, I, I've been told. And, and I wonder if the young man, when he heard that speech, went and maybe showed his gun collection to the father. What do you say? Are you one that comes out rough and tough? Or or are you one that is a little bit more laid back and hear what he has to say and, and try to come to like him since your daughter has? What do you say? Or let me ask you this question. What kind of guy are you hoping your daughter would really bring home? And would you say that the gentleman in our text who knelt at the feet of Jesus, who called Jesus good teacher, showing great respect and honor to the Lord as he made his way to Jerusalem for the last time, for there is where he would suffer and die on the cross for the sins of the world. Would you say that this man would be a man you would be proud for your daughter to date, or maybe even to marry? Now, we're told very little here in the Gospel of Mark, but know that in the Gospel of Matthew, as well as in Luke, this true story is also revealed. And in those two other Gospels, we're given a little bit more information. Like, for instance, in the Gospel of Matthew, we're told that this is a young man. But in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that he was actually a ruler. And quite possibly, we're not sure what he was a ruler of, but it could be that he was a ruler of a synagogue, which would have meant he was a very religious man. But then it's kind of curious, why would he be asking the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If he's a religious man and a ruler of a synagogue, wouldn't he know the answer? Or what has he been teaching to others? And why being prompt to go up to Jesus What must I do to inherit eternal life? We're also told that he was a man of great wealth. And so, in a nutshell, this would have been a man that I wouldn't doubt that any one of us would love to have my daughter bring home. Because he was not some couch potato. He was not a lazy guy. He had influence. Uh, He clearly had money. He could provide for my daughter. Yes, this would be a man that any mother and father would be proud to call son. And yet, he would ask this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In answer to the question, Jesus has a little play on words, on the word good, since he called him good teacher. He said, why do you call me good? No one is good except one God. And... And that in and of itself drives home the point that Jesus was confessing to the man and to the people who were around, and especially to his disciples, that if I'm being called good, then that means I'm God. But it's more than that. For the emphasis here is on no one is good. So Jesus goes to show the man his sins. And in so doing, he gives him the moral law, as summarized in the Ten Commandments. He's using the law like a mirror, ultimately to show him his sins, but also ultimately to show him a need for a savior. And that he cannot save himself as a sinful human being. You know the commandments, he told him. You shall not murder. Fifth Commandment. You shall not commit adultery, 6th commandment. You shall not steal, 7th commandment. You shall not give false testimony, 8th commandment. You shall not defraud. Going back to the 7th commandment. And you and honor your father and mother, the 4th commandment. All of these commandments have one thing in common. They're all the second table of the law. These are all the laws that deal with loving Your neighbor, the only two commandments that are missing is the ninth and tenth. You shall not covet because sinful desires lead to sinful actions. And the man replies after hearing this, not Lord have mercy on me a sinner, but instead he says, teacher, I have kept all these since I was a child. Has he really kept them all? Can he really claim that he has been good totally? Well, perhaps even in his own mind, he felt he's done a pretty good job in keeping them. He hasn't done anything that should really anger God, and if he has, well, he's made up for it. He's worked very hard to keep these commandments. And maybe even in the eyes of the people around him, he is considered to be very acceptable and an upright and proper young man. then Jesus says there's one more thing. Go sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now he brings up the first table of the law, and that brings us to the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods. And when the man heard this, that he was to give up everything, and actually Follow the one who is our everything. The man left sad. He went away grieving. Literally, in the original language, he went away appalled and offended. So many speculate, Did you? do you think he ever came back? We don't know. But we do know that he suffered from greed. And suffered... Of making money his God and his wealth, his God. Now keep in mind, money in and of itself is not sinful and wrong. The Bible never says that money is the root of all kinds of evil. The Bible, in fact, says the love of money is actually the root of all kind of, e- of evil. We always see money as the way God has blessed us with it. It it is his, and and we see it as a blessing. It's a resource. We use it, and and always using it according to God's will, and always in keeping with his holy word. And always seeing that wealth, and, and, and yes, that money as everything belonging to the Lord. Including that, including my very self. Keep in mind, you brought nothing into this world. You can't take anything out. Everything we have is actually from the Lord. We can't go home and boast, look at what I have, look at what I have accomplished, look at what I deserve. It's all blessings from the Lord. If the Lord did not give you health, none of you would have any wealth. Everything comes from the Lord. But when it comes to that love of money, when you replace God for the God of money, which is really the God of selfishness, when when that love of money becomes your passion, and it becomes your purpose, and it becomes your hope and happiness, you're worshiping a a false god. And you cannot worship more than one god. There is only one true God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God. This is our God who created everything. And that's why one of the most important uh, teachings concerning the doctrine of stewardship is the teaching that everything belongs to God. He is the owner, and therefore we're simply the managers, the stewards of what God has given us. God does tell us in his holy word to use the resources he has blessed you with and to use them to, yes, provide and take care of your family. You're worse than an unbeliever if you don't. Yes, he will say, use the resources he has blessed us with to to help the needy. By the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans, he even says there, pay your taxes. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's. And yes, even the public ministry, and using the resources to support that. As As, as from this local church, we go out into all the world preaching and teaching the glorious truth that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all. My dear friends, money is a blessing. No more, no less. And it's a blessing that comes from God. Use it in accordance with his will. And use it in accordance to his word. This young man, what he was struggling with, he struggled with, two very dangerous extremes. He struggled with a heart that overestimated himself. And every time you do that, you always underestimate God. So Jesus, as he looked around to the disciples, after this man walked away sad and grieving, he made this important comment. How hard it will be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it was so important that he repeated it again. And then came the emphasis, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Some interpreted these words in a proverbial sense, uh, that there was a, a doorway into Jerusalem called the needle, and a person had to unpack his camel in order... To get through that small door, I don't find any of that kind of philosophy here. What Jesus is doing is truly amazing. He picks a camel, a camel, one of the largest animals that the people would have been familiar with. It's larger than a horse. It's larger than an ox or a cow. And then he picks the smallest hole you can think of, like an eye of a needle. And can a camel go through the eye of the needle? Not at all. And it would be easier for that than for a man who holds to his riches as his God? The disciples caught on. They knew exactly what he was doing. If the wealthy aren't getting to heaven, and this was a religious man, possibly a ruler of the synagogue, if he is not going to be saved, then who can be saved? The answer is so simple. What's impossible for man and for ourselves is not impossible for God. Those words are very similar to the words that the angel Gabriel told Mary when he announced that she would be the mother of our Lord. She would ask, I'm a virgin, how can this be? And he spoke of the Holy Spirit overshadowing her and 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 the Lord God blessing her and, and making her pregnant. And then goes on to say that this one to be born will be called the Son of the Most High. He is the Son of God. Then the angel says, nothing is impossible with God. And just like in the English language, the Greek, if it has two negatives, it's always emphasizing the positive. Negatives being nothing, and impossible. So the positive way of putting Gabriel's statement is saying everything is possible for God. And everything is. Because our entire religion, our entire Christianity is based on God doing the impossible. This is a miracle. It was a miracle that the Lord would leave the glories of heaven, the very Son of God, to take on human flesh. To become one of us. He didn't give up his divine nature. He was fully God and fully man in one person. Coming to do what none of us could do. To keep the law perfectly. And win for us that righteousness. That ticket to heaven. This is a miracle. This is God doing the impossible. The very Lord taking that perfect life to the cross. And suffering the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And he's doing it for the sins of the world. This is a miracle. This is God doing the impossible. We could not do this and live. Our very Lord who conquered death and rose again with the promise, because I live, you too shall live. This is a miracle. This is God doing the impossible. We can't conquer death. No matter how hard we try in this world today, we can't stop death from coming. But Jesus rose from the dead. Which brings me to another miracle that we dare not overlook about the miracle of faith itself. Yes, you're doing the believing, but not without the work of the Holy Spirit who is testifying of Christ, who has called us to faith. That is a miracle of God. And even that saving faith, God gets all the credit and glory. My dear friends, this is what makes Christianity is so wonderful. You could take all the religions in the world and basically you can line them up in two categories. There's the category of simply you earn God's favor. You do the work. You can be good. You have the free will. You have the power within you because you're born with some good. But that kind of thinking will only lead to hopelessness and despair. As you constantly ask yourself, did I do enough? Did I try enough? Did I mean it enough? Will God love me in spite of the fact that I'm a sinner who doesn't deserve his grace and mercy at all? No, it is impossible for man to save himself. And that brings me to the second category. God does it all. God paid for it all. God won for it won it all for us. We're going to heaven through faith in him. Just as it so beautifully says in John 3.16, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So my dear friends, it is with that believing heart that we look to the Lord, our Savior, and it is with that same believing heart, which is a grace of God, that we really avoid those two very dangerous extremes, overestimating ourselves and underestimating God. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.